0: What did y'all do to get stuck up here? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) half the choir. Yeah, that's okay. I'm glad to have you up here. It's going to be good. Good morning. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Welcome to worship with us in the overflow of Perry, Oklahoma. Anybody else joining us by way of video or audio podcast, we love you so much and are honored that you would find us and take this time to, to be a part of, of, of our worship service. Open your Bibles together to the book of 1 Timothy. Let's start there. If you don't have a Bible, look at the pew in front of you, the pew rack there. There should be some Bibles there. And I want you to follow along today. I want you to see that what I'm saying is coming from God's Word. This isn't from me. It's from the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 1 is where we'll start. But before we go any further, can we just all agree that there is something profoundly wrong with Miley Cyrus? I mean, can we not just agree that, that there is something really profoundly wrong with her? And we can talk about the, the, the pornification of our culture, uh, but I, I'm more concerned about the way the devil is taking a wrecking ball to this young woman's life. Uh, there's something profoundly wrong with this girl. But, but what I want you to consider today is, is probably the obvious fact that, that she doesn't seem to know there's anything wrong with her life. And this is the saddest part of all. Her life is on a downward spiral that almost anybody else can see, but she can't see that. Her songs are at the top of iTunes. She's making more money than Billy Ray ever made in his whole life, and she probably thinks that at this point, she is on top of the world. It's interesting that somebody could be so broken, so lost, and probably not know it. It's really the the starting point for this message this morning. I was talking to a young man uh, back last summer, actually, who has left the faith. He was raised to be a Christian and has left the faith. And as he was explaining to me the things that made him lose faith in, in Christ, this is one of the things he said. He said that as a Christian or in church, he had always sort of been taught that everybody who didn't know Jesus is lost. And that's the word that we typically use, that they're lost. And he was taught that without Christ, people are empty and, and, and guilty, that they need forgiveness for their sins, they need purpose for their lives. And so he sort of grew up just assuming that, that Christians were happier and their lives were more full, and that somehow those who didn't know Christ were all less happy, less full, no purpose, no meaning, and, uh, and, and lives full of guilt and shame. But, but he said, when I got out of the church and I started meeting real people, I quickly realized that, that they're doing okay. And this is what he said. He, he was somehow surprised to go out into the world and realize that all those lost souls that don't know Jesus, their lives without purpose, no forgiveness for their sins, they don't feel lost. And many of them don't feel Guilty. And they don't feel as if their lives are lacking purpose. We all know that Jesus is the answer. But my young friend got out into the world and realized that Jesus is the answer to a whole lot of questions that the people in the world never seem to ask. When you go out into the world as a Christian, one of the things you will have to recognize right off the bat is that the world is filled with really good people. Really, really good people. And we do believe and we know, and I'm not going to tell you any different, that they do need Jesus, but for the life of them, they don't feel like they need anything at all. So I want us to consider this morning, what does it mean to say that Jesus is the answer to all the questions that the world never asks? And what does it mean to say that really, really good people need to be saved? For that, we turn to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 to uh, read the story of a really, really good man who found Christ. His name was Paul, and this is where he starts. First Timothy chapter one, verse 12, and we'll go from there. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him even though, underline those words, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. Verse 15, here we go, underline this. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Underline that. It's a trustworthy saying, and everybody should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. That's Paul talking. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they, too, can believe in him and receive eternal life. Underline that word, believe. They, too, can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. I've always thought that I have the best job in the whole world. I I love being a pastor, I love being your pastor, but I I had second thoughts in the past year, and and you'll understand in a minute. This job opening was advertised by a British company called First Choice, and First Choice has uh, resorts and, and amusement parks that they own all around the world. And they advertise for a very, very special, sort of once in a lifetime, maybe one in the whole world, job opportunity. They were looking for a, wait for it, water slide tester. (laughs) Did y'all see this? First choice in Britain was looking for a water slide tester. They own water parks all around the world, and they needed somebody. I mean, somebody's got to do it, right? They wanted somebody who would be willing to travel the world, all expenses paid, all expenses paid, You just go from resort to resort, and they put you up in fancy hotel rooms, and they feed you fancy hotel food. And your only job is to all day long ride water slides. The the job posting actually said, must be willing to get wet at work. (laughs) I get wet every Sunday. (laughs) But, But it ain't like that. It it, it ain't like that. You have to be willing to get wet at work, and you also have to be willing to do a little writing when it's over. You have to write. You have to be able to write. Basically, you had to make two evaluations with, with every slide. You had to evaluate the splash, and then you had to evaluate the adrenaline factor. You think you could do that? That was the job. And and in all seriousness, that is a real job. And it was posted earlier this year. In April, they hired a 22-year-old guy named Sebastian. He goes by Seb. Seb Smith. And that is now Seb Smith's job. He is water slide tester for first choice resorts. Amazing. Would anybody argue that that guy might have the best job in the whole world? Well, actually, there's one guy, maybe one guy, who would say his job is better? Turns out it's, it's the apostle Paul. Notice how he starts the passage right here. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's heart is overflowing with, with gratitude and thanksgiving to God, okay? And, and for what? Because he says that God has given me strength to do what? Your Bible's still open, you're with me, right? You're not gonna make me read that whole passage again. Follow with me in verse 12. He's given me strength to do what? His work. Paul is just overflowing. Paul is about to bust. He's so happy. He feels like he's won the lottery, the luckiest man in the world. He loves his job. And what does he do? He does the Lord's work. He goes on to say, He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve Him. So this is where this whole passage begins. Paul is just almost boasting, not really boasting, but he's just simply saying, I can't believe that I, of all people, that I get to do what I do, and what I do is serve the Lord. Now that's pretty good. If you're not a believer, if you're outside the faith, that may sound really strange to you, but for those of you who know God and know what a thrill it is to live your life with him and to do his work in the world, then you probably understand what Paul is saying here. I I can't believe I get to live this life. I can't believe that I get to do what I do. And all that Paul does, all that Paul does now is travel and tell people about Jesus. That's all he does. That's his work. Christ gives him the strength to do it. And he actually says, he appointed me. He found me worthy. And this is where the passage turns. Paul says, I've got the best job in the whole world. I've got the best life in the whole world. It comes from Christ. And that's the odd part, because Paul goes on to say, I am so unworthy of this. In in other words, Christ appointed me, Christ chose me, Christ strengthens me every single day, but I don't deserve this. Of all the people in the world, I should be the last one that Christ would be focusing on, the last person that Christ would choose to do anything for him. I, I'm the last one. Notice what he says. Jump down with me all the way down to verse 15. This is the key verse. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And what does Paul say? And I am the worst of them all. If you grew up in the King James Bible, the King James says that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I like that. The chief sinner. Actually, the Greek word there, it just means number one. So what Paul says is, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, and I am the number one sinner. That's literally what he says. I am number one sinner. Now, some of you who perhaps had some... uh, connection with the Christian faith, the Christian message, you may be an outsider, but, but you've heard about it, that's the kind of verse right there that you would probably focus on, at least some of you, because you would say right there, Paul had an issue, Paul had a, a guilty conscience. And Paul needed something to find some sort of inner peace. And so Paul has turned to the Christian message. Paul turned to the Christian faith to find inner peace. Because obviously this is a kind of tortured soul, a a very guilty kind of, of conscience. And so in his guilt, in his shame, Paul turned to religion as a way of somehow finding peace, making peace with himself and good for him. That's what some of you would think. Good for him. I'm glad that worked for him. But the problem is, you may not be a Christian, you may be an outsider, but honestly, you don't feel guilty. You just don't feel guilty. And that's why the Christian message doesn't seem to apply to you, or it doesn't seem to draw you in. It would work for people like Paul who feel guilty, who feel bad about themselves. But honestly, most people in the world, inside or outside of Christ, they don't necessarily feel bad about themselves. Now, for you church people, if that sounds shocking, get out and meet some real people. (coughs) Have you not met the Kardashians? Did you understand? Sometimes inside church, this seems to be what we tell each other, that out there, everybody's so lost and miserable, and they are lost. They are, but they may not be miserable. And so I don't want you good church people to be surprised when you get out there and meet the Kardashians and find out that the world isn't necessarily filled with people asking the questions that Jesus is the answer to. The world is not necessarily filled with people who walk around saying, I am the chief of sinners. I'm the number one sinner. Actually, most of the people that you work with Most of the kids you go to school with, they probably don't think of themselves as sinners at all. They probably think of themselves as really, really good people. And I'll be really honest with you, the world is full of really, really good people. Good people. And so when you talk about how they need forgiveness of their sins and they need a Savior, they don't necessarily feel that or or see that. They think of themselves as really, really good people. They recycle. They are tolerant. They are good to their neighbors and faithful in their marriage. I mean, they're honest people. They give you a kidney out of their body. And some of them will be quick to tell you they are a lot more moral than most of the people they meet in church. And spending a lot of time in church, I have to agree. You know, the guy who told me last week that, oh, yeah. The the woman, the, the man that my ex-wife had an affair with, he was a deacon in a Baptist church. I mean, they love to tell you that, right? The world often is a place where you'll meet some very, very moral people who may need Jesus, but they don't think they need Jesus. And, and if you're expecting them all to feel lost and lonely and empty and without purpose, you may be surprised. that There are a whole lot of people out there who don't feel like they need anything at all. So, so when... Some of those people, and you may be one of those people, when you read this passage and Paul talks about being the chief of sinners, that's when you say, well, that's, that's the kind of person that religion attracts. People who have trouble, people who feel like they need some sort of redemption or atonement, but, but you may not feel that way. Okay, let's have fun with the Bible. Open your Bibles, just back a few pages to the book of Philippians. We're still gonna be looking at, This man, Paul, still looking at Paul, but but I want you to notice something. He definitely says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, and I am the number one sinner. He definitely says that. But I want you to do something with me. Go back to Philippians chapter 3 where, where Paul tells his story. And this is what he says. He's talking about his past now. This is before he became a Christian. And he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And Paul did. Before he became a Christian, he used to hunt Christians down, arrest them, sometimes see that they were killed and executed. That was Paul. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Interesting. Paul literally says that before, before he became a Christian, before he turned to Christ, when it would come to moral law, he actually says, I was blameless. I I was perfect. Now, he's talking about before he met Christ. Before he met Christ, I was a Pharisee. I was religious. As far as moral things go, I was blameless. I was perfect. Now, does this sound like a guy who's got a guilty conscience? Does this sound like somebody who thinks of himself as the number one sinner? Because the fact is, before he met Christ, he didn't think of himself that way at all. You understand that? Does that make sense? Before he met Jesus, he did not think of himself as the number one sinner at all. Before he met Christ, he thought of himself as almost perfect almost perfect. He was not struggling with guilt. He was not struggling with shame. He wasn't struggling with anything. He was living a very, very good life, and he would go so far as to say when it comes to moral things, you really wouldn't be able to find anything to criticize about me. I was as good a man as there could be. That's Paul. Okay, so what makes the difference? And it's interesting, because before Jesus, he says he's a really good man that probably doesn't need Jesus, but after Jesus, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am sinner number one. Interesting? Before Christ, he didn't think of himself as a sinner at all. Before Christ, he was just a really, really good man on top of the world. So what happens? Stay in Philippians chapter 3 and read with me. Verse 7, he just said, when it comes to the law, I was blameless. I once thought these things were valuable, but now, notice that, I, I once thought, but now, now I consider them, what's he talking about? What are these things? All of his good deeds, his life of, of moral goodness, I now consider all of these things worthless. Because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. I, I went to verse 9 because I want you to see that phrase, my own righteousness. See, there's a point in Paul's life when he counted on his own righteousness. He counted on his own goodness. This is not a man with a guilty conscience. This isn't a man who is aware of sin in the way that you've probably assumed. This is a man who before he met Christ, he assumed that he had a righteousness of his own. He assumed that he was such a good man that somehow God must be smiling down on him. But he came to realize that that was not the case. And what happens in between what he used to think and what he thinks now is that he really met Christ. He came face to face with the living Jesus, and that changed everything. Now, back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, notice what Paul says. He says that God showed me mercy but because I was acting in ignorance and unbelief. Now, what does that mean? When it says God showed me mercy because I was acting in ignorance and unbelief, is Paul saying God was merciful to me because I didn't know any better? Is that what he's saying? God's merciful to me because, because I was acting in ignorance, I didn't know any better. Is that what he's saying? No. No, it is not that God showed him mercy because Paul didn't know any better. The fact is, Paul didn't know Jesus. Paul didn't know Jesus. And Paul came to believe in Jesus. Now, turn again with me. John chapter 3. It's the most familiar passage in Scripture for many of you. John chapter 3. You probably know John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that everyone who, say the word, believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. But go down to verse 18 with me. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him, in Jesus, has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So here's the thing, as Christians, as believers, we look back and we tend to be very, very aware of our sin and we also remember our life before we met Jesus and so we sort of project what we know now about Christ back into our former life of of sin. We can see it much differently from here. But you need to understand and remember that, that people who don't know Christ, they don't see things the way you see things because they can't. They can't, that they cannot see their sin the way you see their sin from a position of Christ. They just can't see that. And the other thing you have to remember, you have to remember, is that simply there is really, that there, there are sins and there is sin. And according to the Gospel of John, according to what we just read here in John chapter 3, the, the, the big sin, the, the sin that will send you to hell, the sin that separates you from God, is, is simply the one sin of not believing in Jesus. Do you understand? So we as Christians sometimes, we want the world to be aware of the whole catalog of all of their individual sins. But, but, but their individual sins are just almost beside the point. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm just simply saying that all other sins, all of the individual particular sins that you would like to stand up and preach to the world about, those are just symptoms All of the individual little sins, they all come from one giant root, and it is not believing in Jesus. Unbelief in Jesus is the sin that earns the world its condemnation, do you understand? And no matter what else they do or don't do, as long as they do not believe in Jesus, they are condemned already. This is what the Scripture says. So. Let me say just a few final words to anyone in this house or anyone in the sound of my voice who doesn't know Christ. Let me just say this, and this is going to be hard for you to hear maybe, but but listen, listen to my heart as I try to tell you something true. You are a sinner whether you feel like it or not whether you even know it or or not. You are a a sinner because God says you are. And I'm not so much at this point talking about the things that that you do that the church wouldn't like or that your grandma wouldn't like. I'm not talking about your individual sins. I'm simply saying that, that the one giant obstacle between you and God is the simple but very important fact that you have not accepted his one and only son, Jesus. This is the sin from which all other sins come, and that is the place where your faith has to begin, with Jesus. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You have to believe in Jesus. Now I remind you, you are a sinner, and you say, but I don't feel like a sinner, and maybe that's for other people, but it's not for me. No, you just don't understand. The Bible says that that until you believe in Jesus, you're actually dead. There's a part of you that's dead. And so understand, it's always been dead. And so you can't know any different. You really can't be aware of your sin because the Bible says that you are dead in your sins. You can't feel it, you're not going to know. So if you're waiting for some kind of feeling to kick in so that you feel like a sinner, I'm afraid you're never going to get there. I don't know that you'll ever feel it that way, but because you're dead in sins. It's kind of like a couple of years ago when, when Jacob Harris first went off to college, and you know, that was really hard for him. He loved his church, loved his family. Uh, but Jacob went off to UK. He was studying hard, started engineering school. It was really, really difficult. And then right after he went, it kind of turned fall break. And Stacey Michelle wanted to go to Florida. But they knew that if they went off to Florida with Jacob off in school, that it would just break his heart. I mean, it would be horrible for, for Jacob to find out that they went to Florida and that while he was stuck in school. I mean, that was horrible. So, you, so what do you think Stacey Michelle did? Just went to Florida and didn't tell him. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's Logan County parenting right there. I say it's my kind of parenting. Yeah. They just went to Florida and didn't tell him. Yeah. This is just the most awesome thing ever. So Jacob would call from school homesick. He'd say, what are y'all doing? Okay. What they're doing is they're in Florida. I mean, they called one day and Stacy said he was sitting on the bed in a condo in Florida. Jacob says, what are y'all doing? Stacy said, Oh, just sitting. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's my kind of dad. Just sitting. Yeah. Michelle's rubbing suntan lotion on his back. Oh, just here with your mother. Just here with your mother. Yeah. Isn't that funny. Now was Jacob heartbroken? Was he upset? No. No. He had no idea. had no idea. Actually, where are they in Florida right now? Is this Franklin's fall break? They could be in Florida right now. (laughs) Jacob, if you're listening, brother, we we all love you. You you understand, he had no idea. He wasn't upset. His heart wasn't broken because he had no idea they were in Florida. And, And this is sort of what I'm telling you in your relationship with God. If you don't know Christ, you don't know what you don't know. And you can't be expected to feel what you can't possibly feel. You've always been dead in your sins. You've always been, in so many ways, dead to God. Not from his perspective, but from yours. So when you come into church or you're talking to believers, they just sound strange to you. And when they talk about prayer or worshiping or they they talk about how, how, how much they love Jesus, that just sounds really strange to you because you can't possibly feel that. And you can't be expected to feel that. So this is what I'm saying. You shouldn't be waiting around for the moment to when you feel like a sinner. You may never feel like a sinner. That part of you that would feel that is, is totally dead, according to the Bible. Does that make sense? And so you as believers, you Christians who go out into the world trying to tell people about Jesus, you've got to understand this. You can't expect them to know what you know or feel what you feel or, for that matter, believe what you believe right away. That's just not where they are. If you're in the room and that's your situation, then you know I'm telling the truth. That's just not where you are. So let me say one more thing to you. You really need to believe in Jesus. You really need to believe in Jesus. This is the message of the gospel, that God loved the world. That means you. God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus. So that whosoever, we're talking about you, whosoever believes in him, whosoever believes, you're being asked to believe something. Now, when we say believe, it's not just in your head saying that you believe in Jesus like you also believe in George Washington or Abraham Lincoln, just this knowledge that he existed, this awareness. We're not talking about something so casual. We're talking about not just believing with your head, but believing with your life. To, to believe that He is the Son of God, to believe that He is God in the flesh means that everything in your life now must change. If, if He is God, that means you can only come to Him and believe in Him so that you can serve Him. Your life belongs to Him now. Did you understand? It's, it's not just casual head kind of knowledge where you say, okay, I think I believe that. No, we're talking about a, a belief that leads to a, a genuine commitment. But, but this is the gospel message. You... You believe in Jesus. At this point, we're not debating your lifestyle. At this point, we're not talking about all of your individual sins. Your individual sins are a problem, but the fact that you don't believe in Jesus, that's what condemns you to hell. You understand? It is that sin, the sin of not believing from which all other sins come. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life asking you to believe. Little Wayne, who's, who's a rapper, you don't have to know, um, but, but he's a rapper, um, famously spent some time in, in prison. In prison, uh, recently in an in interview with Rolling Stone Magazine, Little Wayne was talking about his time in prison. And uh, apparently, he read the Bible a lot. Now he'd have to tell us that, we wouldn't know. Um, But he said he read the Bible a lot. And the Rolling Stone interviewer said, "Um, what was it like? What was it like to read the Bible? And he said, it's so deep. (laughs) He's such a man of words. It's so deep. (laughs) This is what he said. He said, but I loved it because in the Bible, you keep seeing people who are like this, and then they become like that. Not very poetic, but that's little Wayne, that's what he said. In the Bible, you keep meeting people who were this and and then they become like that. He says you have people who were dissing Jesus and then they become like saints. Well, he read it right. Because the Bible is all about that. How people who used to be this come into contact with a living Lord. And then they become that. There's there's a radical change. Paul says this is a trustworthy saying, worthy of everybody believing, and it's simply that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And and I'm the worst of them all. But, But he did this. Notice what Paul says. He says he did this so that I could be a kind of example, so that other people could see that what Jesus has done for me, he can also do for them. I know that sometimes church people, Christian people kind of creep you out. I know that often we feel like that all we want to do is condemn you for your lifestyle and all the many sins that you do that we don't like. But I want you to understand something. That's, that's not what I'm talking about today. Whatever changes that need to happen in your life, that's between you and Jesus. And he'll take care of you. He'll change you from the inside out just like he's changing me, I pray, from the inside out. He'll clean you up later. But, but right now the issue is up is faith. You've heard the message of Jesus. and Maybe you've heard it over and over and over, but hearing it is one thing. At some point, you need to believe this. You need to believe that that Jesus is Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead. Scripture says that is the belief that will save you. In other words, maybe today you're you're this, but once Jesus gets control of your life, you're going to become that. What Jesus has done for others, he will do for you if you will believe. Stop and pray with me. God help us as Christians we sure make the message sound a lot more complicated than that. We sure add a whole lot to John 3:16. We forget, Lord, that when it comes to sinners, every single one of us is probably number 1. God help us as Christian people to stop pointing at the sins of the world and instead to start pointing to Jesus. Help us, Lord, not just to believe in our heads, but to believe with our lives that you are Lord. And Lord Jesus, I pray that those of us who claim to know you, we'd learn to be a little bit more like you. Lord Jesus, I pray for hearts. I pray for those in the sound of my voice who are hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and and so close to believing. Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts and convince them of the truth the truth about their sin, the truth about Jesus. And, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would draw souls to you today. Lord Jesus, we can't be expected to feel anything. We can't be expected to change anything. If we could do it without you, Lord, we wouldn't need you. We just simply come to you today, Lord. We run to your arms today. We come, Lord, to be changed. We come, Lord, so that we can leave and never be the same. But, Lord, we still come to you just as we are. And as we are, Lord, we're sinners, every single one of us, but but you are a Savior. Lord Jesus, we ask you to take each and every one of us into your arms. Forgive us, love us, transform us. Make us new. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Stand together. I want to give you a chance to respond. You'll probably respond in your seat, if at all. You'll probably respond between you and and God, and God is here and God is with you, and he's listening to the very thoughts in your heart right now. So pray, talk to him. Ask the Holy Spirit, ask God himself to confirm whether or not what I'm telling you is true. And if it be true, then you need to act on that. This changes everything about your life. I'm asking you to believe in Jesus today. Asking you to believe and give your heart to Him. If you do that today, I'd love for you to share that with me. I'd, I'd love to know that that's what you've done. You can tell me after church if you want, or you can walk this aisle right now. We'll tell the whole room.